Well, good morning. Good morning. You know, the, the book of Psalms speaks of God in many ways. It tells us that He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. He's our comforter. He's our healer. And this morning, we want to begin our services by calling on all of these attributes and more as we keep in mind that there are many students, many families, school personnel, law enforcement that continue to work through and process the events, these horrific events, this past week at Mount Tabor. And so if you were directly impacted, we're prayerful that this worship service today in song and in word and prayer will help. There'll be healing and there'll be hope. And for the rest of us, we're prayerful that today's worship, again, through song and word and prayer, will remind us to remain alongside those who are hurting in our community in whatever way the Lord calls us to. Uh, likewise, if there are any students uh, that you happen to know um, are close with, closely linked to, that we can be an avenue for, for pastoral help and care, uh, for shepherding, uh, by, in no way do I feel adequate to uh, provide words um, that would fix, but that's where the Lord takes over, and um, I would be more than happy to sit down and talk with anyone. I know Corey would, Sonny, any of our pastoral staff would be more than happy, uh, but as we begin to, to do that, but as we begin our time uh, of worship together, let me just begin with a word of prayer for the events of this week. Lord, in our shock and our confusion, we come before you. In our grief and despair in the midst of hate, in our sense of helplessness in the face of violence, Father, we lean on you. And for the students and the faculty, the staff and the families of those who are affected by the events that took place at Mount Tabor this week, we pray for them, Lord. We pray for those who wish to inflict harm on others. Help us to remember to pray for them, hmm. for the family that lost his son and their anger and their grief and the fear. We ask that you would be a great comfort and a strong tower for them for the churches striving to be a light in the darkness in that community. Um, we ask that you would be with them. In the face of hatred, may we claim love. Mm. Allow us to love those who are far from you and show them the love of Jesus that has the power to change lives. Allow us to love our friends well, and even more so, Lord, those who we consider to be our enemies. Mm. Heal our community. And may a revival take, it, take place as a result of the work of your Holy Spirit, stirring in the hearts of the people that you call yours. Lord, we pray, Psalm 34, 18, over our community, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Yes. Be with us now, God, as we begin this time of worship. May we all have things that weigh heavy on our hearts and our minds and allow us the next few moments to spend this time focusing and praising and glorifying the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we invite you to stand and worship with us. Sing it out. We are blessed. We are blessed. 
when we come together. We are blessed when we come together in the name of the Lord. We are blessed when we come together. We are blessed when we come together in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. 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 To the Lord most high. Hosanna. Hosanna. Oh, we have come together in the name of the name he will be near to us as we lift our hearts to him in praise we are blessed when we come together we are blessed when we come together in the name of the together we are blessed when we come together in the name of the Lord we'll be singing Hosanna 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 to the Lord most high Hosanna Hey! 
like we aren't on such shaky ground. How thankful we are that we can build our lives upon the firm foundation of your love, on the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us and your mercy toward us. We thank you for the cross of Christ and for the bloodshed, for the remission of our sins. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love and that your grace is sufficient for us no matter what it is we may be facing today. We bless your name, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. And now, Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts to hear from your word and that you would speak to us Form us more into the image of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. You may be seated. Mm, thank you, Wes. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is David Holcomb, and I have the great privilege of serving River Oaks as our discipleship pastor. And if you're someone who has only recently began attending uh, River Oaks, then the likelihood is high that we've not yet had an opportunity to meet, as my wife Christy and I are just returning from a much, much appreciated, especially restful, restorative, refreshing time of sabbatical, uh, for which we want to share with our complete full church family how grateful we are uh, for you blessing us in that way so thank you so much and it is so good to be back you know so how did we spend our time I will share just briefly with you uh, that we had the opportunity that together we could enjoy and explore God's great outdoors so beautiful uh, just and 
almost looks like I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> we also spend a lot of time with our family. We have distant family, and so to spend time with our girls, one's in Texas, one's in the Pacific Northwest, was just really wonderful. And then to cap it off, uh, spent really it was the first time for me to visit our nation's capital, uh, morning runs to promote the Rock 5K. And, uh, and then really camped out like a kid in the candy store uh, most of the time at the Museum of the Bible, uh, which was really, really amazing and fascinating. Just wonderful exhibits, five floors, all sorts of artifacts that are just uh, tremendous. I, you know, I, some examples they, uh, I just wanted to show you. I know there's going to be a lot of oohs and ahs, but that's an 1856 Ulrich Zwingli, Swiss German, non-Latin, early Reformation Bible. Whoa! Whoa! Just, a, that's amazing. No, just really, really wonderful stuff. And all, all that to say that we are prayerful that we stewarded this time well and that it has prepared us for a next season of ministry with you. So again, good to be back. And, you know, since we've been back, the question that I've been asked the most is, well, what was the highlight? Did you, did you have a favorite thing you did or a place you went? And Man, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer, really. Uh, but honestly, there was a pinnacle moment for me. Uh, it was a week that was completely unplanned. I believe it was completely uh, God-ordained and divinely orchestrated, a week that God knew I desperately needed. And it was the seed for that week uh, began and was planted with the sermon series here in June, Benedictions and Blessings of Scripture. Maybe some of you recall that that series was kicked off by a guest pastor, Alan Wright from Rinalda, and he spoke on the power of a personal blessing, uh, which was a blessing that we speak over someone as an affirmation of their God-given gifts and passions and character or the influence, the impact that they have had on our lives. And so I don't know about you, but I, I, that stayed with me for several, several weeks. I chewed on that most of the summer until one Sunday afternoon in late July, I turned to Christy and I said, you know, the Lord is prompting me to action. And usually when I have that look in my eye and that assurance of the Lord's calling, she says, okay, I'm sure you're going to do it. And um, he had placed six men on my heart. Six brothers in Christ who at some point, in some way, at some past time, had spoke life into me. They had invested in me. They had sharpened me as iron on iron. And I needed to see them. I needed to speak an affirmation of a blessing over them. And so the next morning, (laughs) I headed out on a 2,000-mile, five-day, six-stop destination. And this uh, was quite an adventure. It became known in our house as the official Big Blue Full Circle Tour. Full circle, because I think you could tell as I started looking at the gentleman that I needed to go see, uh, we just sort of made a big loop. And on many ways, this became quite the uh, description for the purpose of the trip. I was coming full circle in many ways at uh, this time of life and ministry. Now, Big Blue, uh, some of you have had the, uh, the experience, the joy of experiencing Big Blue, but Big Blue is that tank that disguises itself as a 1997 Chevy Tahoe out in our parking lot for which she and I have an affinity for Psalm 71. Do not cast me off in my old age. (laughs) Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. So Big Blue and I were ready. The Lord called and we headed out. It was a wonderful week. It was exactly what I needed. It was life-giving. Sitting down with uh, a a college friend who was such a witness on campus for me, with those co-workers who had been lights of integrity for me in the workplace, Uh, for that Sunday school teacher that was the first teacher that Christy and I had as a young couple who really drew out my interest in teaching. And then finally, uh, the ability to sit with someone who I haven't seen in 35 years was a young youth pastor at the time, and I was an 18 and 19-year-old intern uh, that he invested in and, and brought on to his staff. And so just speaking that time to pray up, to catch up, to look them in the eye and say, you were, you have been, and you continue to be a blessing in my life, that was the pinnacle moment of my sabbatical. And again, I'm thankful for the time to be able to do that, and I would encourage that of all of you as you have that opportunity. But as I was uh, driving from state to state, changing out the cassette tapes, (laughs) rolling up and down the windows... 
It struck me that even though I haven't seen most of these men in a long time, the spiritual connectedness, the spiritual bond was as strong and as real as it ever, ever had been. And I kept thinking about how these relationships were held together with this truly unique bond. We were still united in something beyond our past experience. As I looked at Scripture, I found that Scripture says, well, it's not optional. <laughs> you can't escape that. Uh, it, it just is. See, followers of Jesus, believers who confess and call on, on the Lord as their Lord, are, we're united spiritually in Christ. We have become members of His body, but not individual members, members one to another. And for the local church, I kept thinking back, and, and just over and over and over, the witness that I see, the example I see, is that for the local church, her ability to be effective and impactful and a witness in the world around her is due large part to how, uh, how her members live out this spiritual oneness. How united we actually live this out. And so the scripture this morning that's really like a jumping off point and we're going to be moving through, through several, but the jumping off point, what really sort of sets this message together is Romans 12, 4 and 5, where we're told that for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, this is important, we're members one of another, not with another. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the, the believers in Rome, and he's telling them that their union is more than just an association. They don't just share the same affinities. It's, it's deeper than a partnership. Rather, God is calling us into a relationship that is much, much, much more permanent and intimate. There's a oneness in Christ that, that ties us together. And I know sometimes, sometimes that bond is, is really strong, and I think that allows the, the, the uh, witness of the church to be strong. Sometimes that bond is, is sort of weak, maybe divisive, and, and it impacts the witness of that church, but still there's a bond that exists. It's present. I, I think, as Lionel Richie once sang, I'm stuck on you, <laughs> and vice versa. We can't escape it, and so we are members of one another. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about this union on various levels. You know, we've explored it in week one, that it begins with the necessary vertical union in Christ, that we've been crucified, buried, and resurrected in Christ, and the presence of the Spirit now lives in us, united in us. And then last week, we explored how our individual unions in Christ lead us to a unified purpose fulfilling the mission of the church. And so this morning, I want to look at a third aspect of our being united. We want to look at the idea uh, that we are united one to another, and it's going to be built upon the idea that we are uh, most fully realizing that union when we are living out intentionally one another lives, one another living and it's the pursuit of that one another living that we are individually being shaped by ever-increasing maturity, and collectively we are becoming the church that God intends us to be. So in other words, when we're committed to one another living and unity, it affects all that we are in Christ and all that we do in His name. And so this morning, I want to look at it, I want to begin with the end in mind. And the first point is I want us to look at what, what might this look like? If we do this well, what, what might this look like? Uh, how, how might uh, God use one another living from his church? And then I want to look at how scripture tells us we actually can do this. What's involved in one another living? So beginning with the outcomes, we look at a few different results. And, you know, one of the uh, significant results or the mark of a uh, one another living is a flourishing one another church. That's really one of these great outcomes is that there is a flourishing one another church. And it's one uh, much like we find in the book of Acts. 
And if you're not familiar with Acts, Acts begins with this post-resurrection conversation between the disciples and Jesus. And then soon follows, Jesus ascends, and the disciples move to Jerusalem and await the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The day of Pentecost arrives, the Spirit arrives, and we're told that 3,000 confess Jesus as Lord on that day. And what do they do? They almost immediately unify themselves to one another and join themselves as local bodies of believers. It's the origin of the church. And it's often referred to as the model of a biblical church. And when we talk about models, we're talking about uh, not styles and structures, but we're talking about what elements of worship are present in this church. What life practices do we see in this church? What are the, uh, the behaviors of the believers, the relationships of the believers? There we find our model. How they, how they speak of, sacrifice for, live with, treat one another. And when these are all aligned, the elements and the practices and the relationships with what God intends, just look at some of the things we're told happens. And we can look in Acts 2.42. We read, as they devoted themselves in relationship to the, the apostles' teaching, to the elements of teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the communion, and the prayers, uh, the first thing we see is that all came upon every soul. Now, we read that and we have a tendency to sort of just uh, gloss right over it. But this is really, really meaningful and deep here. Uh, in other words, as they one anothered, they were filled with astonishment, with amazement. They left that fellowship with reverential fear that they lived out throughout the rest of the body. It filled their souls. It came over them. Wouldn't you and I love to leave here this morning astonished? Don't we want that feeling of amazement in our soul that just carries us through till the next time that we fellowship one with another? This is what happens with one another. But further, there's more. Uh, verse 44. Again, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as they had a need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, one anothering, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God. They had favor with all people. And here we go. What's the outcome? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think it's interesting. It could have said, and they were so happy. It was such a happy place. But here instead, the Lord says, no, 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 no. The reason they did all that is so that I could add to their number those who are being saved. It's a correlation between a unified body of believers and the addition of new believers. You know, we, we, we absolutely love new members in our church. When we have Discover Rock, we often we would just want to invite you in, particularly those who have relocated, maybe from, from some other city or town or state, uh, those who are approaching a new season or stage of life, or maybe those that are discerning a need at this point for a, uh, a Bible-teaching, Christ-centered congregation. Absolutely love new members. But please know that a, a church strategy for growth that is comprised strictly of receiving believers from other churches is never, ever the vision should never ever be the vision of any church. The vision should be what we see in Acts 2. That it's a desire for River Oaks, the Lord's church at River Oaks, to add to our number those who are being saved. But there's more. <laughs> Acts 5.13. We move forward a couple of chapters and what's happening is the Lord is expanding the reach of the church. The, the, the church is growing. Why? Because of all of these things we see prior the ministry is being expanded, and, and we're told in 5.13 that none of the rest, these are unbelievers in the community, they didn't dare join them. Some did, but none of the rest of them did. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So even as those looked in and they said, hey, we, let us tell you about the Lord, and some of them said, no, 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 that's, that's not me, <laughs> not, at least not yet, I'm not going to join you, not going to join you, but you know what, I respect you, I, high, I hold you in high esteem because of what I observe from your body. Can we say that 
of the church today? If we were to go out into the community, would we say community, even for those of you who dare not join us, do you respect us? Do you hold us in high regard for the way that we one another, the way that we are united? Yeah, I would hope so. Because here's what I know for certain, is that where local bodies are lacking in unity, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm almost, I am sure that believers are not generally being added to the Lord. And so this model of unity, it continues through Acts. We see it in the New Testament. And then we see it in church history. The early parts of church history, we'll find that the North African theologian, Tertullian, who wrote about Christian life and church practices in the late 2nd century, early 3rd century, he would write and, and he would say that the pagans of his day pointed to the church, they pointed to the Christians, and they said, look how they love one another, for they, the pagans, hate one another, and how they are ready to die for one another, for they, the pagans, themselves are readier to kill each other. And then a century later, the Roman emperor Julian, AD 362, regarding Roman assistance for his people, and I believe this is during a famine across the empire, uh, he would write that it's a shame that the impious Galileans, which was another word for Christians, that they never have to beg. They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And we could find example and example and example that when the church is unified, when they are practicing the model elements of worship and song and reading of the word, and they're living a life that is a one another life, that the Lord advances his church in truly remarkable ways. And now I, you might be saying, you might be thinking, yeah, 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 I, I know. I would love, love for my church uh, and for believers of all had to have this impact on the world today. I would love it. But, you know, times have changed. Times have changed. We don't practice our faith anymore in that same way. I mean, who needs the hassle of being around other people? I mean, you can catch all kinds of stuff. I can do church by myself, right? I mean, I mean we're Americans. Rugged individualism, fearlessly independent, lone rangers. That's the new model for church. And if you're thinking that, I would, I would respectively suggest two inaccuracies with those, that thought, that line of thought. Uh, the first is that, one, your philosophy is not new. <laughs> this has been the, the, the thought and the philosophy for many, even back to the early church, where uh, individuals have created excuses to justify their forsaking of gathering with one another, uh, with local body unity. It's been going on. Uh, I can think back. Now, this, was, this predates me just a little bit. But maybe some of you recall something called the Jesus Movement. The Jesus Movement of the 1960s. Uh, there are many nuances uh, to, uh, to this movement. Uh, I, would, I would call that they were sort of grounded in this, um, I think it's accurate to say, sort of a hippie-fied theology. But one of the songs that was associated with this move, movement was called Me and Jesus. Me and Jesus, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. So there's nothing new to that thought of uh, going it alone theology. But, but more important, the second inaccuracy that I would ask you to consider uh, with that line of thought is that God never, ever, ever intended his unified church model to be outdated. The relational characteristics of what we observe in Acts will be described throughout the New Testament. Uh, in fact, I like to call them, one, one part of these is called really the one another commands. You know, in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are over 70 occurrences of a one another command. Uh, forgive one another, pray for one another, be kind to one another, so forth. And when we look at these 70, they can actually be broken down to about 29 distinct uh, imperatives, uh, admonitions, commandments themselves and uh, that some of them are used obviously multiple times among those 70 plus but these 29 one another commands they give witness to a lost world of how God and I catch this I want to reemphasize again so so listen to what I'm saying because this is our how this is what we're going to do as far as our how the reason that we pursue these 29 one another commands is because they give witness 
to a lost world of how God can take sinful, selfish individuals, transform them into new creations, and then unite them to one another for kingdom purpose. That's the importance of the one another commands. That's the witness to the world. And so that's what they demonstrate. And we can't, we, <laughs> I guess we could do 29 weeks. But this morning, we can't look at each of these 29. But I do want to look at two very, very, very important ones. And I hope they at least get us moving in that direction. And uh, before I do, I'd say it's a general commentary because I think this is important as well. Uh, keep in mind that these one another commands, they are primarily given to believers in the local church where brothers and sisters live in a covenant relationship, meaning that God is central and that believers are physically present. So if we think about that context and how it might apply to us, this is a message, these commands are to those who would be regular members or attendees gathering at River Oaks. In this season, whether it's here or online, would be part of this unified body for which the 29 one another commands directly speak. And I think that's genius. I mean, it's God's plan, right? So God has some pretty genius plans. But think about it. Within the walls of the church, we have been commanded to learn how to one another, to practice our words and our thoughts and our actions in the setting of grace and forgiveness before we are sent into the world. In a way, it reminds me of one of these old um, rock, rock tumblers. You guys familiar with those? Do you ever have one, right? Well, my kids did. You take these dull, rough rocks you add some kind of abrasive grit right you start the tumbler in a few days they come out no way resembling what you put in right and as the ad says you know they're they're shiny they're smooth and the ad at the top says they transform the rough rock into precious gems that's a similar way that's what is what's what uh, this fellowship that we call the united body of christ is we are a diverse body of backgrounds experiences vices, opinions, and we join in hearts that are surrendered to the Lord to be tumbled <laughs> with his mostly sweet but sometimes abrasive grit. And we devote ourselves to one another. And then an amazing thing starts to happen. We are sent into the world each day just a little bit less rough, a little bit uh, less prideful. A fewer, fewer sharper edges. And then we are a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more polished, humbled. His precious beauty is now shining through us. So I thought about, even in our welcome this morning, that welcome you to uh, what we'll start calling the, uh, the rock tumbler. R-O-C-C. No, that's a bring up. <laughs> So the first of these uh, what another's we'll touch on of the two is by far the most fundamental. It is the one for which out which all the others sort of fall apart. It is the command to love one another. Over a dozen times in Scripture from Jesus, John, Peter, Paul, we see this command to love one another. But the first occurrence is, is no, no mistake, obviously, but the first occurrence comes with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room the setting of the Last Supper, where it says later in that evening, Jesus would take the water basin, then he'd grab a towel, and he'd start to wash the feet of the disciples. And after he finishes, he reclines back at the table, and he will say a new command, not a suggestion. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, as I have demonstrated you, as I will give my life for you. So you must also, in the same way, love one another. Because, there's always a why. Because, so that, therefore, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The witness of this unified body will go out and be a witness to me, the Lord, with great glory. So this was an intentional example, an intentional act of the extent that they and we must love one another. Because in all the ways that we attempt to identify ourselves as believers in Christ so that the world will know who he is, we are told that the most telling is how we love one another. 
I mean, that's pretty deep, actually. That's pretty unusual. Uh, Jesus would he'd touch on this a few more times, even that night. But then we'll pick up again. We'll see the Apostle Paul talk about it to the Thessalonians. Now, concerning brotherly, sisterly, bodily love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And then again by the Apostle John in 2 John 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, dear lady was a reference to the church, the church that is being written to. Dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one you have had and we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Both these guys are saying, hey folks, there's nothing new here. If you were coming this morning expecting some earth-shattering new revelation uh, from the words of Jesus, you've heard it before. There's nothing new. Just follow the commandment that Jesus gave and demonstrated. And so I like to think, uh, even though you might even be wearing one this morning, they served a wonderful purpose and continue to do. So I really, really, if, if you're wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet, fantastic. It's a great reminder, great reminder. But I often sometimes think that maybe the question, if we think about it in this light, should be rephrased, how would Jesus love? How would Jesus love? The next time uh, that we are discerning what action we're going to take between one another, what words might actually come out of my mouth (laughs) here with one another, the question is, how would Jesus love? This is what Paul's saying. This is what John's saying. And, and when I hear this, I don't know about you, but I, I almost immediately say, whoa, that's one of those easier said than done, isn't it? Um, I don't always feel like loving others. Well, then I recall the truth, and it's the beauty of Jesus, make, Jesus making clear that a new command I give you and not a suggestion really doesn't depend on my feelings, does it? Loving one another uh, is, is not a suggestion, and yes, we, we are not perfect in it. We aren't always loving. We know that. We fail at this. But it has to always be our aim. It has to be our desire. We have to be able to recognize that, yes, what I just said was not loving. I need forgiveness for that because I do want to love one another. Nothing short of our witness to the world is at stake for this one another command. I also think it's worth considering the words of author Wayne Hogue, who wrote the book, The One Another Project. He said that one's love for God cannot exceed the love one has for the one they love the least. That's almost a tongue twister, but kind of look at it and think through it slowly. In other words, we are limiting our relationship with God by not fully loving one another. So love one another, the basis, the foundational one another command. The second one, just briefly... I think it's one that we are in short supply of today. I think it's one that we desperately need. I think it's one that resonates with me. And that is the command, which is used multiple times in Scripture as well, to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we read that therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Sort of a double emphasis. Just as you are doing, keep doing it. Don't be satisfied. And again, in Hebrews, the author of the Hebrews in 10.5 would say, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Encourage one another is an urgent plea as well. And you know, when I think about world events, I think about uh, the toxicity of social platforms. I think about uh, just uh, cultural isolation, even pre-pandemic, we're the most connected, but yet the most isolated of all societies. I think we could use a little bit of encouragement. And within the church context, what does that mean? That's not just a pep talk. That's just not a, hey, you need to be happy kind of talk. What it is, is we are encouraging one another. We are actually filling, enabling, putting in courage, boldness, uh, confidence into fellow believers. We are lifting spirits in order that we may encourage each other to share and to show God's love without the fear of rejection from the world. We are filling with encouragement, with courage, in order that we would pursue God's calls on our lives, that we would make the difficult choices, that we would actually live in the fullness of life. Often we need the courage to do that. 
And so we're looking for those opportunities and we're filling one another with that great courage, lifting spirits. And um, I'll say, I, and I, I'm not contractually obligated to say this, but River Oaks is certainly, it is one of the most encouraging congregations I have ever been around. You, you really are. I, I overhear it. I observe it from a distance. I experience it. And isn't it, um, isn't it a blessing to be around sincere and genuine biblical encouragement? I know it is for me. I hope it is for you. Have you, um, have you ever been around the opposite? A discourager? A, 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 someone who saps your confidence or your spirits? Uh, a wet blanket? <laughs> You know, I, uh, it's like the story that I heard about a small group leader, not here, with a, a member who was forever negative, constantly discouraging those in the group, regardless of what was said or done, did not have an encouraging word to say, we'll call him Ned. So the leader thought that he would speak into Ned's life and would break this negative streak, so he bought a dog, a brilliant dog. He taught the dog how to walk on water. He took Ned and the dog out fishing. And while they were fishing, he looked at the dog and he said, go walk. Sure enough, the dog jumped out of the boat, started walking on the water. Turned around and walked back to the boat. He looked over at Ned. Ned simply looked up over his glasses and said, dog can't swim, can he? (laughs) Don't be Ned. Don't, don't be, you know, generally I find that those that have a trouble with that also have trouble uh, considering Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And I'm not saying, again, that we're always happy, that we're not frustrated, that there aren't times that we should come together with serious matters, different points of view, uh, and that, you know, there's just sort of this, this go-happy time. But um, if your overall disposition is routinely one of discouragement, and negativity, then I do believe that's a gospel issue. I do believe that it needs to be taken seriously. And so if you're around individuals like Ned, uh, be patient, be loving, be kind. If you are an individual like Ned, on behalf of your family and friends, stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. And if you're not sure how to stop it, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you to just really a quick, uh, some other one another's, that if you say encouraging one another's is actually not my strength, well, I think you can be an encouragement if you, uh, if you think about comforting one another. 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, it says, comfort one another so that you may live in peace. Uh, care for one another. You can be an encouragement that way. 1 Corinthians says that there would be no division in the body, but that members may care for one another. There's this correlation between unity and care. Uh, show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter. And finally, encouragement. You can be an encouragement when you serve one another. Don't use your freedom as a believer, the grace that God has given us. Don't make it cheap grace. Not your flesh, but, 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 but serve through love one another. And, you know, and in that, I'm reminded of what we hear, this remarkable statement in the Gospel of Mark where Mark would say that for even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. He is our example for encouragement or uh, serving others. And in fact, he's much, much more. See, the life and the ministry of Jesus is our pattern. He's the one another Christ. He's who we look to for living out all of the scriptural commands because he modeled them perfectly. And because he's perfect, we're not, we can only live them to our fullest potential when we abide in him, when we live in him, when we spend time with him and then spend time with one another. You know, it's, it's much like our desire to live out the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, so forth. We, we see that, that these are the attributes of Christ that he demonstrates throughout the Gospels. And they can only become attributes of our own lives when we belong to him, and as Galatians 5 would say, when we are living in the Spirit. We can't do any of this on our own. And so if you're searching for the official how-to manual for all of these one another's, 
Uh, just keep it simple. Look to the one another Christ and submit to his unifying power. Eyes to Jesus, united to one another. And so in, in, in just a moment, uh, I'm going to close in prayer. And following that prayer, you're going to see uh, a list of each of these 29 one another's on our screens. Okay? Wes and the, the praise team are going to be playing. And um, I'm going to ask you to just simply reflect on the one another's that you see on the screen. And also ask the Lord to show you those for which he would like us to be intentional. He would like you to be intentional. Maybe there's a specific situation in your life and it strikes you as you see this. Uh, maybe there's just a general blind spot that you ask the Lord to reveal for you. But um, we want to just watch those um, as really part of our offertory this morning. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then really today's message was intended to provide you insight into what, uh, what should be expected of and experienced by those who do call themselves Christians. The church will never be perfect in this world, but for genuine followers of Jesus, you should expect that the church should look more and more and more like Jesus every day than it did yesterday. And I'm also hopeful that you would be curious to learn more about what we refer to as the gospel, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus uh, provides for us eternal salvation, assurance of that, through our faith. Uh, it's our, our highest privilege to, to further that conversation with you. So let us know after the service or on a Hey, I'm Here card or anytime during the week. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning with just grateful hearts for your word. Uh, your word that reveals and shows us your character uh, and then our response to that, Lord. We, we pray humbly and we pray boldly, Lord, that you would be in the midst of our congregation, that you would strengthen our unity, that our bond would be so strong that those on the outside would say, look how they love one another. Look how they serve one another. Lord, despite our sinfulness and our fallenness, you have made us new creations. And we just pray this morning that you would continue to guide us how to live that new life and glorify you, Lord, as one body. Amen. He is. 
Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. 